Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, church. Isn't it awesome to hear your stories of God on the move through the ministries of Crossroads Church? Just hearing stories of students coming to know Christ, students growing in their faith, feeling called to ministry. Uh, But that wasn't the only way God used Crossroads Church this past weekend. Uh, Many of you may be aware, but our pastor had the opportunity to go speak at the D-Now for Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and saw a great harvest there. Uh, He even used uh, Frozen and got high school and junior high students singing Frozen songs and tied it into sharing the gospel, i.e. letting go and stepping into the unknown. It was an awesome moment. But then also our, our associate pastor, Josh Wallace, uh, and our contemporary worship pastor, Ryan Jackson, had the opportunity to lead a D-Now up in Huntsville. And so Pastor Josh is still there ministering to their church and congregation, but we saw a great harvest there. And so God is using Crossroads Church in ways that we don't see. Uh, and men... I just want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up for the men's conference yet, uh, it's time to, time to sign up, okay? It's, 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 it's go time, okay? We've already got over 100 men signed up, but we want you to be a part. We've got a great weekend planned, and we know that, that God uh, wants to use men uh, to lead in his church, and so it's time for our men to get in the game. But I want you to think, okay, if, if you were going to do something kind of hard, like participate in the Crossroads 5K Easter weekend, which you'll hear more about. You kind of have two options. You can take the option that Pastor Josh Wallace and I are taking, uh, and that's just, we're going to show up and run uh, until we cross the finish line. So if you see us lying down, just just help us back up. We'll we'll make it, okay? The other one is you can begin to train right? And you can hire a coach, somebody to work with you, probably a really good coach, maybe somebody who's run 5Ks, who's helped others run 5Ks. But if you were going to run a marathon, uh, I don't recommend just showing up and running. Uh, But what you would probably do is find a really good coach, maybe the best coach, maybe a really good, maybe the best massage therapist, because you're going to need one, to train you, to get you ready. If you were going to win a national championship, you're going to find somebody that's going to pay really good money to get the best players. You're going to find the best coach, somebody who knows how to put a team together, right? You want to find the best of the best when it comes to players. Now, let's say you were going to do the improbable and cure cancer you're probably going to find some of the best scientists, the best chemists, get them together and come up with a strategy and plan. It's going to be even more detailed than that. But what if you were going to change the world? What would you do? If it were me, I'd find uh, the smartest people, the best scientists, the best economists. I'd build the best military, right? The best of the best to take over the world. But God does it very, very differently. See, God's taken over the world, 
but he's doing it in a way that is very backwards to the way we would do it. He's using the church, the humble, the broken, the fatherless, those who the world would say are insignificant. God's building the church. God's taking over the world through the church and he wants to do it through you and me. Since the beginning of this year, we've been walking slowly, marinating on the book of Ephesians. There's two main themes that come out of Ephesians. The first is that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. The second is that in Christ, God is unifying man to each other. So we are reconciled with God first, and then we are reconciled to, to each other through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's this beautifully messy thing called the church. The way we like to say it here at Crossroads is the church is God's plan A. And every once in a while, we tag along this. There is no plan B. There's no other way that God is going to accomplish his plan and purposes. And so why does Paul hit on this theme of unity so much? Why is it so important? If you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Marcus said that unity is the greatest apologetic to a world that's divided. Unity stands out. Unity is attractive. Unity says that I am part of something bigger than myself. The psalmist is going to tell us that how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. And we've said this before, but it's needed to be said again. We're not after uniformity. We don't want a bunch of me's walking around. Trust me, I live with me. He doesn't, God doesn't want us all to look alike. He doesn't want us all to act alike, to talk alike or think alike. But in Christ, God's not trying to rob you of who you are, but he's trying to transform who you are for his glory. That unity, it's a sameness of purpose that we have one purpose and that's to bring glory to God. And the only entity in the world that is designed to bring unity is that beautifully messy thing called the church. It's the only thing created to, to, to build unity. If you want a microcosm of what this unity looks like, the way we prepare sermons here at Crossroads is we have a preaching team and there's five of us. Pastor Marcus, he's from Oakland, and he's really been everywhere from the East Coast to the West Coast. You got Pastor Carlos, who's originally from Mexico, spent some time in San Francisco, and he's now here as the pastor of our Espanol campus. You've got Pastor Josh Wallace from Indiana via Miami. You've got Pastor Daquan from Los Angeles, and then you got me. And I'm from this tiny little town in Southeast Texas called Houston. I hear it's got a lot of potential. But it's 
such a beautiful time. It's my favorite part of the week. But it's interesting because nobody's ever going to confuse any of the five of us in the room besides Pastor Josh and I, which y'all have been way more concerned with that than we have. Um, So let me help y'all. If it's bad news, tell Pastor Josh Wallace. If it's good news, come to me. So we're all very different, different personalities, different backgrounds, different wirings. But what bonds us together is Jesus. And what you hear preached here on Sunday mornings is the outpouring of the spirit at work in and amongst each of our hearts individually and together. And so he's going to close this first half of of his letter to the Ephesians as he's transitioning to talking about, right, he, he said, why? And we've been dealing with what? And now, in, in starting in chapter four, he's gonna start telling us how. How do we dwell and live in unity? But he finishes with a prayer. Uh, and one of the things that stood out to our team as he started preaching was the way Paul prays. Now, Most of the time when we're praying for people or we're praying for the church, we pray that we would love each other more. And that's not a bad thing. We pray that we would be unified, really, right? That we would get along. Can't we all just get along? Just getting along and unity are not the same thing. There are people I get along with that I am not unified with. And there are people that I have to wrestle with that I'm absolutely unified with. And so, here's what Paul prays, right? He doesn't pray just that we would get along or that we would love each other. He does something radical. He does something that might seem too simple on the surface. He prays that we would understand the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's basically saying, if you can grasp this, then all these other things will take care of themselves. So look at this. Look at what he says here in Philippians, or Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the prayer. That you would know and understand and put into practice the gospel. And so look at how Paul does this. Right? As we understand the gospel, it changes us. Now, we know the gospel, and we can, 
see it as the way out of hell, right? Your get out of hell, hell free card. Sometimes we refer to it as the fire insurance to make sure that we're good with God and that God's good with us. And so the thought is that we might move on from the gospel into other ways of thinking, to greater enlightenment. But you see, the gospel isn't just the ABCs of salvation. It's the whole of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. Charles Spurgeon, a famed Baptist preacher, remarked that the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand, and yet it is deep enough for you to spend the rest of your life studying it. So Paul prays that we would understand the gospel because the gospel reconciles us to God. Not what we did, but what Christ did for us on the cross. It makes us right with God, but it transforms how we view our fellow man. So he's telling us, you want unity? You want harmony? You want peace? Understand the gospel and do what it says. And so let's unpack this prayer. Let's unpack his words to the Ephesians. So he starts out and he says, for this reason. If you remember last week, he started out with, for this reason. And he's picking up where he left off in verse one. And in verse one, Paul's linking back to his words at the end of chapter two, where he tells us that God reconciles us to God, to himself through Jesus Christ. And then he starts talking about how he's building the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And look at this beautiful picture in 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And he says, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so then in 3.1, Paul starts to pray for the Ephesian church, but then he stops. And he's like, wait a second. I don't think y'all understand what I'm telling you. There's a lot more to this, and I don't think it's moving from here to here. You may think you grasp it in theory, but there's very real implications to what I'm telling you. He says, basically, just so we are clear, I wanna make sure there's, right? He's not leaving anything up to chance. He's not saying, hey, you may get this, you may not. He's not saying, I hope you figure it out. He tells us exactly what is going on. If you look at verse six of chapter three, he says, the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles, most of us, those who were scorned, those who were ridiculed, those who were on the outs, he says, yeah, those guys, they're members of the same body and partakers of the same promise through the gospel through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's what gives us hope and what makes us right with God and our fellow man. If you can't be right with your fellow man, you may not be right with God. And so he's going to pick up this thought and say that because of the work that God is doing, right, for this reason, because of what God wants to do, let me pray for you. Let me pray that you would begin to comprehend the gospel. And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, why would Paul bow? This wasn't a posture that was common in Jewish culture. Most of their prayers were done standing. But here's Paul saying, for this reason, I bow. Bowing represents a recognition that there is something greater going on. That there's something that is driving Paul to his knees, driving Paul to a posture of humility. And it's what God has done in Paul's own life. Think about Paul's backstory. He was the Jew of Jews. He was the smartest guy in the seminary. They called it synagogue. He knew the law backwards and forwards. He was so zealous for what he thought he was right, thought was right, that he was killing Christians, followers of the way. So think about that. Because then, as Paul's on a Damascus road, on his way to do what? To kill more Christians, he meets Jesus, he's blinded, and then all of a sudden he gets accepted into the people that he once tried to kill. If God can redeem and save Paul, God can redeem and save you. And he's saying, I have experienced this. And so it drives him to the only response possible, and that's humble adoration of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And notice what he says next. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. To be named in Jewish culture was to define one's identity. It, it connoted purpose, it converted value. And so God, the Father, is the creator of all things, and he is the one who defines and gives value to all things, including you. And so if you're here today, I want you to know that your life is of infinite value and worth because God, the Father, created you and he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. And as we've been learning here in Ephesians, he adopts you and he calls you child. You would be the, a child of the most high God. And it's interesting. So where the world highlights our differences, right? The world loves to highlight how we're different. God highlights how we're the same. 
Just in our study of Ephesians, here are some things that our preaching team came up with where Paul highlights how we're the same. We have a common value and worth. That's Ephesians 1. We're all image bearers. But we also have a common depravity. We're all children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2, verse 1, where he tells us we were dead in our sin and trespasses. But he doesn't leave us there. In 2.8, he tells us that we have a common salvation, and because of that common salvation, we are a common workmanship, and where he's building this beautifully messy thing called the church. So he appeals to our common value, our common identity, And as we spoke at the beginning, how hard it would be to accomplish some of these things and the improbable and the impossible, right? And if we were trying to accomplish those things, we would be looking for the best. But God's taking over the world and he uses the least. There are no first round draft picks in God's economy. But rather the outcast, the lonely They are adopted and brought in. And really and truly, there's only two types of people in the world. Yeah, we think there's a lot of different types of people, but there's two different types of people. There's sinners in need of God's grace and sinners who have experienced God's grace. And he begins to pray and he prays that according to the riches of his glory and mercy, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying that Christ may dwell. uh, To take up residence. So I've moved so many times since moving out of my parents' house that I've lost count. It's over 10 the longest I've lived anywhere since, since graduating high school is about five years. That's not the type of dwell that Paul's referring to. That's not what Jesus wants to do. Some of you have lived in your house 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. That's the kind of dwelling that Paul's talking about here. It means to, to come home, to take up residence and to stay a while, to kick up your feet, to get something to eat. See, at salvation, which is inaugurated by God the Father, it's accomplished by God the, Spirit, the Son, and it's sealed by God the Spirit. And so what happens when we come to faith in Christ is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and it seals us, marking us as children of God. Let me illustrate it for you this way. In a military battle, in an invasion, you don't send the ground troops in first. You start with the air war and you bombard an area to weaken its defenses. One of the reasons we want our people to be active in sharing their faith is that every time we share our faith, that's the air war. And what God's doing is he's penetrating the human heart with the gospel, softening it, 
making it ready to receive the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he bombards the heart with the message of the gospel as, this, as God's people share. And then there comes a moment in time where somebody repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And what that does is that establishes a beachhead, right? So once you soften the defenses enough, the beachhead's established and that's where you begin to bring your ground troops in. That's where the Holy Spirit marks us and seals us. And he takes up residence in our hearts. And here's the deal, is when we come to faith in Christ, God doesn't leave us there, right? He's promised us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's promised us that he'll accomplish the purposes that he has for our lives. So he's just getting started in your, your life and in my life when we come to faith in Christ. Because now the invasion begins. And what God does through his Holy Spirit is he starts transforming us from the inside out. Right? That's why Paul prays that we would be strengthened by his spirit in our inner being. You see, when we try to change ourselves, what do we do? We, we try to go outside. So we might do the diet, start the exercise plan, have the surgery. Those things aren't necessarily bad. But they don't transform us because transformation is something that happens internally through the power of the Holy Spirit as it dwells in our hearts and lives. We, we live in a day and age where a life coach is a thing. And look, it's good to have people to mentor you and to coach you up. But Jesus isn't our life coach. He's not our homeboy. He's our Lord and Savior, and he's coming to take over. If Jesus agrees with everything you think and everything you do, you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. He didn't come to agree with you, but came to transform you. And he does it through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This is why we must understand the gospel. Because it's the power of God in us that transforms us. We can't do it on our own. We weren't meant to do it on our own. And we weren't meant to do it alone. Uh, I want you to look at something in verses 17 and verse 18. So, or excuse me, verse 16 and 18. He says in verse 16 that he may grant you to be strengthened in your inner being. Those words are in the singular. Why is that important? Because we all must come to an individual decision on whether or not we're going to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's not an intellectual ascent. It's not something your parents can do for you. You don't get to live on the faith of your parents or on the faith of your grandparents. So you have to make an individual decision to trust Jesus. But look at verse 18. He says, with all the saints. You see, 
It's an individual salvation, but you have a corporate responsibility. As we've said over the past few weeks, you can't love Jesus and hate his church. Jesus died for the church. And so you're accountable and responsible to the church. Right? We've already said it. The church is God's plan A. It's how God is going to redeem and restore you. It's how he's going to grow you up. And that's why Paul prays in verses 17 through 19 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about how rich that is. Now, normally I'd keep walking through this word by word, verse by verse, but it's important that with all the saints, because we can't experience the fullness of God on our own. We weren't created and designed that way. We were created and designed to be dependent on other people. Uh, the best picture I've heard of this uh, is sequoia trees out in California. They are some of the largest and biggest trees in the world. But their roots are not very deep. And so what allows them to keep growing up? Their roots intertwine like this. And so the strength of the whole keeps them all vertical and growing. That's the church. This is why we encourage you to be in a life group. We have them for all ages and life stages. It's where you get to experience authentic relationships. And something powerful happens when we're together. And so, yes, we want you in worship. We want you in life groups. We want you serving. You might be thinking that's a lot, but it's really not. You have the time. You just have to make it. See, this room, it's not designed for us to interact. Yeah, we can hug and shake hands and everything, but there's one guy talking. There's a handful of people that sing when we worship. This room was designed for our vertical relationship with God. It's designed to engage our hearts and minds in worship through music the preaching of God's word and prayer. It's in this room that we proclaim the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. And it's in our life groups where we explore and we experience it. It's where we take this big worship experience and we break it down into smaller life on life relationships. It's where we learn to comprehend the breadth and width and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge because it's an experiential love that is the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in community that we experience the love of Christ. Because as I rub shoulders, as I link arms with other people, 
It's where I learn where I'm strong and where I'm weak. Because I love to think that I'm patient and loving all the time. But it's until I have to interact with other people. Personally, just to be honest, I think they're the problem. But I haven't found anybody that agrees with me on that. I mean, how easy would life be if it was an afternoon drive in the country with no traffic? Right? Just you and the open road, just kind of meandering through the trees, windows down. How easy is that drive? But instead, life's a little more like driving through the woodlands at rush hour. Or driving down I-45 at, well, any time. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, got to go with Pastor Marcus to Memphis, which was a huge honor. You can get from our house in Wood Forest to Hobby Airport in 45 minutes. Don't ask questions. It can be done, though. <laughs> but you see, that's what life is like. It's like driving down 45 in rush hour, or really at any time. You can't fully understand the gospel on our own. You can't fully comprehend the incomprehensible on our own. Right? And so when Paul is talking about the breadth, the depth, the width, and the height of the love of God, it's incomprehensible. We can't wrap it up on our own because it can't be wrapped up. But as we are together, and as I see you grasping it and me grasping it, or you experience it in your life, or you experiencing it in your life, it starts to comprehend with me in fresh new ways. As we see the bonds of sin broken, as we see families restored, but all that only happens when we're together. We were never designed to do this life on our own. The, one of the greatest lies that the enemy has ever gotten us to believe is that we can do this on our own. We can't. We weren't meant to. We saw a beautiful picture of the church over the past week. Not this past Friday, but the Friday before. Uh, there was a young lady that Pastor Marcus, and my wife Liz, had, we'd had, had an opportunity to serve on a church staff with. She's my age. Uh, and we get a text message from a friend. Hey, such and such passed away this Friday night. Just like that. The church family at their church rallied around them, took care of the, the, her husband, took care of her mom and their mother-in-law. It's a beautiful picture. Friday, they did, did the funeral. People from all over came to honor this woman's life. That's the church in action, taking care of you when you're hurting, celebrating life together. That's what you're missing when you try to do it on your own. We comprehend this together. And what was the thing that linked all these lives together? It was the spirit of God living in them. See, it's the spirit of God that unites our hearts together. I don't know about y'all, 
but I love sweets. Sugar would be the foundation of my food pyramid if they put me in charge of the food pyramid. And one of the things I love the most are cookies, right? But you can't do hard cookies. They got to be just right, just soft. And the only thing better than one cookie is two cookies. And the only thing better than two cookies, the answer is not three cookies, by the way, but you're not wrong if that's where you thought we were going. The only thing better than two cookies is to have some sort of nice creamy filling, maybe made out of something sweet. And you put it together between those two cookies and you put those two cookies together and all of a sudden you've got one delicious cookie. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's the bonding agent in our hearts that brings us together across economic backgrounds, across racial backgrounds, across uh, family backgrounds, across any and everything that would seem to set us apart. It's the Holy Spirit that unites us and God celebrates our differences, but those things don't define us, nor do they celebrate us, separate us, excuse me. And so Paul prays three things. Praise that we would have the strength to comprehend because it's incomprehensible what God did for us through Jesus on the cross. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to be honest with you. I love you, but I'm not going to die for you. And I'm definitely not going to let my girls die for you. I'm just going to be honest with you. I might be willing to take a bullet for you, but not my girls. But what God did was he sent his son, Jesus. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He wasn't just fully man. He was fully God. Which means he was perfect. Which means he was without blemish which means all the things that we have screwed up and gotten wrong in our lives, Jesus didn't screw them up. Yet he went to the cross on our behalf. It doesn't make sense. And so why do we need strength? Because Christ doesn't come to make our lives easier. He makes our lives wonderfully harder as he cares for us with a love so great that we need the strength to endure him. He makes our lives wonderfully harder as he cares for us with a love so great that we need strength to endure him. Dwight Moody, who we're all thankful for, Pastor Marcus, Pastor Josh, both educated at Moody Bible Institute, was struggling with his own shortcomings. And as the story goes, God met him one day in New York. And he later writes, I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of this love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. God is strengthening us to be able to endure together. So he prays for strength. 
He prays for love, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. It's Christ's love that we sink our teeth into and that we anchor ourselves in. It's the foundation that all this other is built upon. That we would love the generous, including the length of his love bearing with us, the forgiving height of his love surpassing our worst sins, the sacrificial depth of his love lifting us out of our most inexcusable failure. And Paul prays that we would know this love beyond an intellectual and at an experiential level. You see, this word love here, it's an active word. It's a verb. You see, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It came down from heaven and lived here on earth. So God's love for us moves Christ towards us. We don't go to God. God came to us. And it's God's love that moves us towards others. Because we have been reconciled to God, we can now be reconciled to each other. And the end result is the building up of the church, this beautifully messy body of people from all backgrounds coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's going to tell us that Christ's love compels us or it propels us, it moves us forward. So it moves us towards those who might seem unlovable or difficult. And the funny thing is, is that as we move towards others, we start to experience the fullness of God. And so the third thing that Paul's going to pray is that we would be experience the fullness of God. Look, look at verse 19. He says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The picture here is one of abundance. It's a cup overflowing. It's sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner and never running out of food and never being full. That sounds like my kind of day. Which by the way, men, we're planning a delicious barbecue dinner for you Friday night, but we need you to register. If you want to eat in abundance on Friday, please get registered. We want to be so filled with the love of God through his Holy Spirit that what comes out of us is Jesus. That when we speak and when we talk and when we serve and when we interact with anybody, that Jesus comes out of us whether that's in our places of business, in our neighborhoods, when we're on mission serving our city, when we're going to the outermost parts of the world, we want Jesus to come out. 
We want people to be left with Jesus. You see, God wants us to live an abundant life, not a material prosperous life. That's not necessarily a sign of God's blessing, but an abundant life that we would overflow with the love of Jesus to others. Now, some of y'all are looking at me and you're like, man, that's impossible. Yep. Remember what we said back at the beginning, what would we do? How would we accomplish the impossible? We would try to find the best and God takes the outcasts. God takes those who are not necessarily considered the best. And you're saying it's still impossible. And on our own, it is impossible. We can't do this on our own. But God. Now, it's almost as if Paul were anticipating this. Because he goes ahead and he takes the question right off the table. And he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. You see, he anticipated the question and he answered it. He said, don't worry about it because God is able. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. Now, the temptation is to read that as a sign of personal blessing, right? To him who is able, he will provide. And he may. But remember, one of the first rules of hermeneutics, you gotta read the text in context. What's the context that Paul's driving at here? He's driving at the building of the church. He's driving at creating unity where there's been division. He's driving that God is doing something that doesn't make sense, that the world doesn't understand, and he wants to use me and you to do it. From all backgrounds, he wants to unite us together as one. And he's saying, yeah, y'all can't do it on your own. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit power. You can't do it living in isolation. But under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, who I have left as a counselor, as a guide, as that bonding agent to bring you all together under the banner of Jesus Christ, it can happen. And he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever. So what does God desire for you? What does God desire for us at Crossroads Church? God desires that our Christian life be more than just attending or being a part of a church. Church is a really bad hobby, by the way. God desires to dwell in us so completely and to transform the various areas of our life that need to be changed. And he desires that we know and comprehend his complete love and that we would 
be so filled with that, then in return, we passionately re- worship him better, that we develop authentic relationships, and that we live on mission. This is the way we experience the fullness of God. You see, it's not a head knowledge. It's an experiential love that transforms us. And then you say, but God did that. But God did that. Right? What brings a bunch of students together that we see salvations and people called to ministry? God did that. What God is doing is he's building his church. And he's transforming us and wants us to be the doers of good in his community. And here's what Paul's hitting at in verses 20 and 21. God desires to do this in us. And he will do it more abundantly than we can imagine. If we will just obey. When this happens, the glory of God becomes manifest in us and in the church through all generations. So there's some people in here that I have no doubt that God's moving in your heart and he's drawing you to himself. As you say, man, maybe you've been playing church for years or decades. You've sat in the seats, you've sang the songs, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here for the first time and you've been wondering if God loves you. He absolutely does and he absolutely wants to know you through his son, Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is confess that you're a sinner and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be, come in my life and be my, my Lord and Savior. I want you to save me from my sins. And if that's you today, we're gonna have a couple of our guys. Jimmy's gonna be right over here. Pastor Marcus will be down here. Wait, if you don't mind coming down over here. Hey, if you need to talk to somebody, you wanna give your life to Christ, maybe you're saying, hey, I've been far from Jesus and I wanna come back. Bible doesn't call us, talk about rededication, but it does talk about repentance. And actually the life of the believer is marked by continued and greater repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you just need somebody to talk to, we're going to have some of these guys down here and they'd love to talk to you, pray with you. But as we close, I want to close by praying this over us as a church, right? These are, this is Paul's prayer to us. And so here's what I want us to pray. I want to pray Paul's words. So listen, if you'll bow your heads. Father, I pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us, Crossroads Church, to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings. That Christ would dwell in our hearts individually and corporately through faith. That that we would be rooted in and grounded in your love that we would have the strength to comprehend together as saints the breadth and length and height and depth and that we would know the love of your son Jesus in a way that surpasses knowledge and that we would be filled with the fullness of you and we trust in the promise that you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think 
according to, to your power at work in us. And so we pray that we would give you glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.